How has the Opportunity Zone marketplace evolved since 2018? And what changes may be forthcoming? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome back for another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Earlier this month, Opportunity DB hosted OZ Pitch Day Fall 2021, a live two-day Opportunity Zone investor matchmaking event. What follows is the audio version of an educational panel from that event titled The State of the Opportunity Zone Marketplace. To view the panel in video format and to learn more about the panelists, check out the show notes page for today's episode. You can find those at opportunitydb.com slash podcast, and just look for the episode titled The State of the Opportunity Zone Marketplace. To play any of the recordings from OZ Pitch Day On Demand, head to ozpitchday.com. Enjoy. Let's dive into our State of the Opportunity Zone Marketplace panel. Uh, there you go. I, I see everybody now. So thank you, all of my panelists for attending today. Uh, very quickly, let's just kind of go around the horn here and we'll have everybody introduce themselves. Emily, I'll, I'll start with you. If you can introduce yourself briefly, please, and say hello. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me on. Let me know if um, I put out for some reason. Um, hey, y'all, I'm Emily Lavery, formerly uh, with Senator Tim Scott, where I served as his finance advisor for tax and opportunity zones specifically. So um, worked really closely with the folks on this Zoom, so it's it's great to see everybody. Um, it's been a minute. All right, and uh, Catherine Lyons joining us from EIG. Catherine, if you could say hello and introduce yourself briefly. Yes, hi everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, I am the director of policy at the Economic Innovation Group, um, and we are a bipartisan research and advocacy organization uh, focused uh, very heavily on the successful implementation of opportunity zones. So it's great to be here. And your organization essentially. Invented opportunity zones. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. We are the kind of architects of at least the the concept of the policy, and work very closely with our uh, congressional partners and turning it into legislation and ultimately into law. And since then, we've been working with our opportunity zones coalition, um, of which Reed is a part, and probably many others on this uh, on this call, um, to uh, kind of help inform the regulatory framework um, and just generally the the as I said, the successful implementation of the policy across the country. No, we're very pleased to have you here, Catherine. Thank you. Uh, Reed, how about you? Say hello, please. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. It's good to be here. We're a, we're a company that's just really passionate about helping well-intended investment initiatives do the good they're intending to do. We do that by providing fund administration services with purpose-built technology to capture the nuances of the individual investments. So um, we're the leading provider of fund administration in the Opportunity Zone space doing, of course, all the appropriate fund accounting, reporting, financials. Uh, but we also focus on doing the compliance tracking for the, uh, for the initiative itself, as well as uh, measuring and reporting on social impact. Fantastic. Well, uh, today's panel really want to be focused on the state of the Opportunity Zone marketplace. Uh, I want to discuss how the Opportunity Zone marketplace has evolved since, it, since its inception. Essentially, in the summer of 2018 is when uh, qualified opportunity funds really first started hitting the marketplace, I would say. And and then I also want to cover any potential legislative and regulatory changes 
that uh, may be forthcoming over the next few weeks or months or, or years even. Uh, it's all a matter of speculation, of course. Uh, but Reed, I want to turn to you first. Uh, maybe you can tell us how many qualified opportunity funds are on your fund administration platform, first of all, and then have, what sort of evolution have you seen in terms of the, the funds and the activity on your platform? Well, I think, Jimmy, now we're over 150 funds on our platform, um, so we're very proud of, proud of that. Um, in terms of how the, how the market has continued to evolve, you know, initially the, it was 100% real estate focused. Um, and all of the funds that we saw coming on the platform were were focused in that segment, uh, largely housing, and then largely under that uh, multifamily uh, family housing. Now that focus in real estate continues uh, today. We see, although we do see um, the fastest growing segment is ones that funds that have some at least uh, some operating business component to them. Um, and so we're at the point now where. And this just isn't the funds that are on the platform. This is all the funds as well that we're in discussion with. About 50% of all funds have some operating business component to it. Might be real estate uh, development that uh, is an incubator for businesses, as an example, um, uh, or a, an entertainment venue or a film studio or something like that that has um, has a mixture of, of both. Um, uh, Michael on the previous uh, discussion talked about, you know, the, the early days of 2018 and these billion dollar funds, uh, being launched. Uh, that was certainly true. Um, but we haven't seen much of that lately. The, the trend has been towards smaller, more focused funds. Um, so the typical fund size now might be 25 to 50 million dollars to be, to be honest with you, um, which we're encouraged by because what, what, we interpret that to say is that um, the uh, the investors and the investment managers are really focused on trying to do what the program was intended to do. You know, where can we apply capital to really help improve a community? Um, and so we're seeing many more targeted kind of investments uh, like that, uh, like that going on. Um, and the final thing I'll say in terms of what the what the market is about is there's been this increased um, attention paid to impact and social impact, um, both from the investor side, we're seeing, um, there's interest from investors in what that initiative is, uh, what the initiative will do in terms of social impact. Certainly return is, is king, but social impact is out there and we're seeing, uh, more and more funds promote the impact benefits of what they're trying to do, uh, versus what was happening originally. Great. Thanks, Reed. Uh, I want to talk about impact a lot throughout the course of these, uh, this two-day event. I think we'll be hearing a lot about impact and the types of community impact, social impact, and environmental impact in some cases that a lot of these funds are generating. I want to focus a little bit on the size of the Opportunity Zone marketplace um, in a few minutes here. But first, I know we've got a lot of questions on what may be changing with Opportunity Zones. What is the Biden administration going to do? What's Congress going to do? What legislative changes are coming? what regulatory changes may be coming to Opportunity Zones. Um, and I know that Senator Tim Scott has introduced the Impact Act. So Emily, I want to call on you in a minute to discuss that in detail and, and what Senator Scott's doing. But first, I want to open it up with, with Catherine Lyons from EIG. Can you walk us through what pending legislation is out there and what might change with Opportunity Zones in the future? And and any potential timelines that you may, may be aware of also. 
Sure. Um, well, uh, as you said, uh, Emily will talk in a minute here about the Impact Act, which I think is the kind of most um, thorough kind of legislation uh, currently introduced uh, to help uh, put reporting requirements um, and a real framework around data collection um, uh, in the policy. Um, but I think that that's where, you know, there's really what we've really seen uh, the most movement around in Congress um, and certainly the kind of deepest and broadest bipartisan support, um, you know, for the establishment of reporting requirements uh, for investors and funds, um, you know, using the opportunities on benefit. Um, there are numerous kind of legislative uh, um, or pieces of legislation that have been introduced, um, both in the House and the Senate. Um, mostly on a bipartisan basis. So there, there's a few kind of more uh, partisan avenues that have been introduced as well, but um, generally uh, this has been done on a, a bipartisan basis across the chambers. Um, and so we're, you know, we as an organization and as a coalition are very supportive of that um, and think it is the kind of highest priority in terms of improvements or enhancements that need to be made to the policy. Uh, also worth noting that it was always the intent to include those reporting requirements, um, but the way that in, in in which Opportunity Zones was passed, the reconciliation, which I think we're all becoming a little bit more familiar with, um, at least in, in DC, um, since that's how uh, obviously been dominating the conversation of late, um, uh, they were kind of stripped out. And so, um, you know, there was always a recognition that they needed to be added back in and um, a real um, kind of concerted attempt at doing that. And so, um, you know, that alongside a few other kind of, uh, I think, um, policy improvements, uh, you know, may come together, um, you know, and I think that there's a real um, interest in seeing something done um, as soon as possible, particularly on reporting, um, establishing that baseline and collecting that data um, early on in the market's uh, inception is really important. And so uh, I think along that, along with the 2021 um, uh, kind of deadline for receiving the, the step up and basis benefit, um, you know, uh, those two things combined, I think, are really um, hopefully uh, kind of creating a little bit of momentum uh, around both extending the policy, which, you know, again, is a real priority of Senator Scott's um, and others, um, you know, within the market, um, along with reporting and a few other kind of, uh, again, kind of targeted and, and thoughtful, reasonable enhancements to the policy, um, you know, again, maybe maybe coming together and, and uh it's always hard to put a pin on what it's the likelihood or uh, timing around this, um, but it's something that uh, you know our organization is working toward alongside um, many other kind of stakeholders within the market and within within Congress. And Catherine, what do you think is more likely to happen first? That we'll get some congressional action that may introduce reporting requirements and some other tweaks to opportunity zones, or do you think the administration may weigh in? with some IRS or treasury regulatory changes? What's, yeah, what's more I mean, they have? hard to say, um, you know, thus far the, uh, the administration has not kind of prioritized opportunity zones. Um, they have had uh, quite a lot of other uh, major kind of pieces of legislation uh, that they have uh, also had to kind of promulgate regulations around. Um, and so that has really kind of taken uh, the, you know, Treasury's bandwidth um, in terms of their, their priorities. Um, so we haven't seen uh, a lot of action uh, on, on OZs coming from Treasury or IRS, um, with uh, the exception of a few um, kind of additional, um, you know, uh, regulations that have been introduced uh, uh, but again, kind of on minor aspects of the policy. Um, 
So I think, you know, there is possibility that we'll see additional uh, movement just because the the assistant secretary of tax policy is now officially in her position. Um, that took a while. Um, and so she, uh, Lily Batchelder, was recently, um, in, you know, installed uh, officially a few weeks ago. Um, but again, I think that there's just been between the major, you know, social legislation uh, that is kind of making its way through the process, the infrastructure bill and kind of numerous, numerous others, uh, other large pieces of legislation that will also then require regulations. It's just, um, I, I think, you know, this is not risen to the top um, of the agency's priority list. Um, so we'll, we're obviously trying to track that as closely as we can, but um, it, it's hard to say who will move first. Um, but, you know, the I think thus far, uh, the administration um, you know, hasn't acted yet, of course, but um, has also, you know, mentioned that this is, they have a few ideas for how it could be improved. Reporting is one of them. Um, and uh, so, so we'll have to see, um, you know, how they, how they uh, perceive their authority um, to, to act in that way as well. Very good. But like you mentioned, it really hasn't been a priority of the administration to date. Uh, as mentioned briefly on the Biden campaign website exactly. uh, back, I guess, about a year ago now, over a year ago. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't really heard much from them since then. Uh, right. Emily, I want to turn to you now. Senator Tim Scott, you used to work in his office as his tax policy and opportunity zone advisor. Senator Scott from South Carolina was one of the original co-sponsors of the opportunity zones bill. Uh, so he's he's been a proponent of it since uh, well before it passed. What is he focused on? And maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, what is included in his impact act. Uh, I know there's some reporting requirements that he's trying to put back in. Um, and, and some other language as well. What, what, what's, on, what's on tap there with the senator? Yeah, definitely. Um, so as you rightfully mentioned, Senator Scott's been championing uh, opportunity zones since they were introduced in Congress. And um, thankfully, he was one of the sort of four horsemen of TCJA, which is how he was ultimately able to get that secured and passed into law. Um, you know, there's sayings on Capitol Hill that it takes 10 years to get a really great policy from inception across the finish line. Um, Senator Scott's been a rising star, I think, since he came to the Hill and passing a piece of legislation this substantial that early in his career on the Senate side, I think, is just uh, really a testament to his vision for opportunity zones and reporting fits right in there with that. Right. So as Catherine rightfully mentioned, that's always been a part of the bill. Unfortunately, it was stripped out due to procedural rules, which I think also brings up sort of an interesting point on the future of getting reporting done, right? If we are to use reconciliation again, that'll be really tricky um, to see reporting included in that package ultimately, right? Because I'm not sure how you're going to get that to score in a meaningful way um, and not run into that same roadblock that we ran into just a few years ago. Um, it's still funny to kind of think about um, just really how young this incentive is. And really on, on that point, it's so important to have reporting legislation on the books right now so that we can start to track and understand exactly what's happening in the marketplace. Um, you know, I'm really thankful for folks like Mike Novogratik, um, who's doing really, really great work tracking, you know, roughly 1,200 quaffs, 900 of those are reporting numbers. Um, they just hit 20 billion, um, which is a 15% increase in rate like two months this summer. So that's been really awesome to see EIG. Others are doing really incredible work kind of doing the reporting labor for us in a sense, right? Um, in terms of just sheer data collection and trying to create a holistic picture of exactly what's happening in the marketplace. But reporting is really, really the only way that we're going to have 
a sound understanding of what these zones look like before they were designated, what their competitors sort of look like in terms of just geographically speaking for private investment, and then what those zones look like over time, also in comparison to communities that were eligible, but were not selected, right? So we can understand both from a correlation standpoint, the impact that the incentive actually had, um, as well as really the trajectory over time. And that's exactly what the Impact Act does, right? It provides for the most holistic um, and in-depth study over time um, of exactly what's going on across, I mean, a litany of economic and socioeconomic indicators, which I think it just, it doesn't shy away from anything, right? It's going to paint a very telling picture of exactly what's going on. Um, GAO, of course, has done, you know, a couple reports so far. I think that those have been moderately helpful as well. Um, GAO's got a great team. They do incredible work. Um, obviously, the Trump administration was pretty vocal about trying to get, you know, their forms updated and creating new forms and trying to collect a lot of data. Um, they had some really excellent reports come out last summer that I thought were really helpful. Um, but ultimately, I think that that administration really did try to go as far as they could in a regulatory sense um, to ramp up reporting. But again, you hit those same sort of walls with respect to the data information that Treasury and IRS can collect um, without having that legislation on the books. So it'll be interesting to see kind of um, where the Bidens go from here. Again, you know, noting that they mentioned they were supportive of reporting quite a long time ago. Um, I think that most of the things that they outlined about a year ago were pretty positive and bipartisan in nature, um, which was fantastic to see given that, you know, it was 2020. It's not necessarily um, the most bipartisan year uh, on the books. Um, and so it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's helpful to know that that administration um, had a pretty inclusive vision with respect to opportunity zones from the get-go. So um, hopefully that that continues to push through. Well, that's great. Uh, thanks, Emily. And yeah, it is a shame that reporting did get stripped out of the initial legislation um, back going back almost four years now, I guess. Uh, we're getting up on the four-year anniversary of when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed, which made opportunities zones a reality. Uh, there's been numerous legislative attempts to, to get reporting packaged back in. I, I think that'll come at some point, but in the meantime, the private sector and some government reports have done a pretty good job of collecting as much data as they could. So I want to talk a little bit about the size of the Opportunity Zone marketplace, first of all. Uh, what we know so far is we don't have a, an exact number on the, number, the amount of capital that's been raised by QOFs and deployed into Opportunity Zones, but we do know that it's in the tens of billions of dollars. Emily, you mentioned that the Novogratic survey uh, recently updated um, with uh, $20 billion of capital that they're tracking. And they admit that they're only tracking a very small set of the, the overall Opportunity Zone universe, as it were. Uh, the Joint Committee on Taxation and UC Berkeley jointly released a study uh, several months ago, earlier this year, that, that showed that if you extrapolated some of the data they had collected from electronic tax filings, that qualified opportunity funds had deployed close to $25 billion worth of capital. And that was only through the end of 2019. So you can imagine what happened in 2020 and, and what's transpired over the course of this year so far. Uh, just curious, I'll throw this out there to all of you. Maybe, maybe Reed, maybe you can chime in. It's been a while since we heard from you. Do, do, you, do you have any other sense of, of the size of the Opportunity Zone marketplace and, and the amount of capital that you think has been raised to date or may be raised by the time the program's all said and done? 
Well, I think the uh, there's a vast amount of capital that's uh, it's not even being counted for. So I think it's mm -hmm. oh, geez, at least three or four times that amount um, because you know there's a lot of folks that will set up uh, their ind own individual funds and fund the the whole initiative, right? So I think that's it. And I, I think the uh, the important thing to keep in mind here is that, that this program, at least from any of those metrics you select, has been massively successful, right? Um, the amount of capital flowing, the amount of momentum it has is is really great. And what's going to keep this thing going is really, at the end of the day, whether or not um, Congress believes that the the program has, has had a positive impact on the communities it's intended to do. and And so I think regardless of whether impact reporting ever becomes uh, a, re a requirement, it's important for all of us in the industry to kind of focus on that, measure that, and uh, and promote that. And that's really what we've been passionate about. It's it's not really hard to measure many of those things. You know, we, we got into it because we're involved in, you know, administering the movement of capital and the investments themselves and doing the financial reporting. And from that, we can extrapolate numbers of jobs that have been created as an example, direct or induced jobs as an example across our base and extrapolate that across uh, what the industry as, as a whole would uh, would ultimately have. So I think for all of us investors, even if in, you know impact investing isn't isn't really the uh, the primary motivation, it's uh, it's going to be important to to pay attention to that for the for the good over the overall initiative. Emily or Catherine, I don't know if you had anything else to add there. But um, but, oh, but before uh, before you do chime in, actually, uh, we will be uh, saving a few more minutes here for some Q and A. So if you do have any questions for our panelists, please do use that Q and A tool in your toolbar, and we'll get to those in just a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, well, not not so much on the um, the state of the market. I think Reed uh, kind of summed up uh, you know our our projections um, on its size, and uh, hopefully we'll get you know more information uh, either with reporting or continued kind of work of the private sector uh, to help fill in some of those gaps. But um, I think just kind of building off of what Reed said about the the need to um, you know really uh, kind of promote some of the great work that is being done um, and uh, share that with policymakers, um, you know, sharing it with uh, community leaders, uh, you know, engaging community leaders in this work, um, you know, that will be really important to the overall, uh, you know, success of the policy and how it is perceived, um, you know, nationally and, um, you know, and more locally as well. Um, so, you know, to uh, indicate if your project has opportunity zones, you know, financing and support, um, you know, I think that that's uh, often left out of um, some of the promotion uh, of projects, and it's hard to know at this point, um, you know, if a project is an OZ OZ related project um, without that. And so, um, you know, making sure that that's part of the story that you're telling, um, you know, and if your project, uh, we know of really great, really impactful work happening across the country, um, but uh, you know, we we would love to share that with policymakers and with stakeholders across across the market. Um, and also encourage you all to do that as well and to really, um, you know, promote, promote this, this great work. And so I think, uh, just again, to build off of what Reed was saying, that's really, really going to be critical. Um, it, it is, and will continue to be, um, over the, over the course of the policy. Emily, anything else from you? Yeah. I mean, I would just echo what Catherine said. I mean, the, the louder and prouder that folks are about the investments that they're doing, I think the better off we all are. Right. So don't hesitate to reach out to your senator, your congressman, um, and really be vocal about the types of investments that you're doing and the impact that you're having. 
Um, you know, a, a good example comes to mind where there was a fantastic investment um, in the Southeast that was underway, creating like 300 jobs and, and just really going to be a fantastic anchor investment for a rural area. Um, and, you know, we heard about it, we were excited about it, and we didn't find out for some time later that they were actually using the OZ incentive. Um, and a lot of that is just, you know, um, it, they weren't shared, sure that that was something they should be vocal about or needed to be vocal about or if it really mattered. And the answer is yes, it absolutely matters. Um, folks want to hear about it. Your members want to hear about it. There is a high degree of interest from members, not just on finance committee, about OZ investments in their own backyards. So again, I think that that's something that everybody should be striving to do. Um, and really just building that relationship is, is always going to be helpful to you. So again, why not? Um, and the only other item I would note on that and is um, definitely, you know, continue to push for reporting. Um, but where and when you are being loud, I mean, I think the more voices echoing that we need a two-year timing extension, echoing those really important pieces, that's only going to help those things get across the line. So I guess that's, that's what I'll sort of leave everybody with. The other Thank you, Emily. Let, uh, let's uh, open it up for questions for a couple minutes here before we cut this panel loose. Uh, Wilson asked uh, about an hour ago now, actually, and I, I saved this one for, for this panel. Where can we follow some of the legislation that we've re been referring to about how OZ funds may change or be extended? Is there is there a resource that EIG or Novogratic might offer that, that you folks are aware of that uh, where, where we can track some of this stuff? Um, well, yeah. So I think uh, in terms of kind of legislation that's that's moving, um, I know we actually uh, participated in the Novogratic conference yesterday that or yesterday, last week, rather, um, that uh, and, and we um, kind of uh, summarized a lot of the, the current pieces of legislation out there, again, all of which are really uh, um, on reporting at this point. Um, there are other uh, pieces uh, about extending the policy um, that, that are also out there. I know Novogratic generally does put out news alerts um, related to the, uh, any kind of introduced legislation in their Opportunity Zones Resources Center. Um, if there are kind of major pieces of legislation, uh, we also usually do a blog post about that. Um, so I uh, do encourage you to check out kind of our Opportunity Zones resources there as well. Um, and then if you're interested in kind of just seeing what um, the, the coalition that we work with um, and, and other stakeholders who kind of came together to uh, put some uh, you know, recommendations for the new administration um, around how the policy could be improved, um, we have that on our resources page as well. Um, it's a, a recommendations letter we sent in March to uh, administration officials um, on both legislative and regulatory uh, improvements that could be made as well. So um, I know not exactly related to your question, but if that is of interest, um, that's, that's a resource that we have. Um, but yeah, I would say we we will talk about kind of major uh, legislative efforts and Novocratic, I know, also does a great job of, um, you know, uh, indicating when new legislation is introduced um, that is at all related to Opportunity Zones and the Resource Center. No, that's great. Thank you. So I, I've actually just posted links to both those resources. The Novogratic Opportunity Zones Resource Center is a great place. They do an incredible job tracking all the different legislation at, at both the federal level and at the state level too. So they, they, they do an incredible job staying on top of that. Um, and I've also posted a link for that EIG Resource Center as well for your organization, Catherine. You can find those links in the chat. Uh, we'll get to one more question here. Uh, this one comes from Mark, um, probably for Catherine and or Emily. He says, has there been, okay, I think we may have already covered this already, but I'll throw it out there one more time. Has there been any discussion on the Hill 
on extending the 12-31-26 date, and which would which would then possibly op- reopen those 10% and 15% basis step-up windows that are that are currently being offered. Definitely, yes. Um, there's been talk on both the House and Senate side, so this is something Senator Scott's been um, vocal about since, frankly, since before he introduced his first iteration of reporting legislation with Cory Booker, um, I want to say almost three years ago. Um, and so it's it's definitely an idea that's been socialized a lot. Um, I think it's a solution that we badly need, not only because, I mean, again, we were given a pretty short window of time to not only get zones designated, but also educating folks from the ground up and the top down um, on the incentive and how to use it, not to mention getting rules finalized, um, which was certainly a process. And I think everybody here um, can attest to that. Um, but on top of that, coping with a global pandemic that created incredible amounts of delays and uncertainty in the marketplace and really made it kind of a nightmare to do business. Um, I think a a timing extension makes more sense now than perhaps ever. The revival of the seven and five-year benefits would be fantastic. And I say the five-year, of course, that's running out quite soon. Um, And beyond that, I mean, again, I think the more time that you're giving communities and um, I think the most uh, fragile corners of our country to, you know, grapple a hold of this incentive and, you know, use it to realize their potential, I think is, is you know, only a good thing. And so um, legislation's been introduced, House side that would do this, Senate side, I don't think that we've seen a bill yet, but again, it's something that folks are definitely, definitely excited about and there's bipartisan support for. Um, Catherine, I don't know if I left anything out there. No, I think you. I think you covered it. Yeah, it's absolutely something that uh, would would benefit the market. Um, we've heard from you know many many stakeholders that this is this is needed um, again to kind of recoup some of the time spent on the sidelines while we were waiting for that regulatory framework and and of course the you know the pandemic uh, upheaval as well. So yeah, very much I think would would benefit um, pretty much every stakeholder in the market. And we've heard that as uh, we've heard as much. Fantastic. Okay, we've got sixty more seconds. So really quick, rapid fire, 15 second response. If you had a magic wand and you could change opportunity zones in any way, what would you do? What would be like the one thing on your wish list that you'd like to get done for the industry? Uh, Catherine, we'll start with you. Well, not to sound like a broken record, but I think I would say establishing reporting requirements. It's just the most critical uh, at this point. So uh, that would be my 15 second answer. (laughs) Emily, turn to you next. I would say reporting and timing. I think that they should and they can go hand in hand whenever something moves. Um, and so that would be my wish, which I guess, you know, I might have tacked one on there, but I feel like it works. <laughs> That's fine. And and read. Obviously, obviously the same thing from from our perspective, but I, I think would remind your uh, your the investors on this call that December 31st is a big day and we, we have seen uh, significant investments flowing over recent months. So uh, let's keep it going. Absolutely. Well, thank you to my panelists and thank you to the attendees for the great questions. Uh, we're going to wrap up this panel right now. Thanks again. I'm going to kick all of you off stage. Forgive me. And uh, I will, but I'll see you down the road, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to this panel from OZ Pitch Day. As always, I have show notes on today's episode available at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that my panelists and I discussed on today's episode. And you can also find the video version of the panel there. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode. That's it for our show today. 
A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.